Here we go, season seven. All aboard. If you missed it, here's what we believe. 66 book canon. We believe in a 66 book canon. There is no more, there is no less. It's 66 books. That Yeshua, who is preached by the apostles in the Gospels and in the epistles, is the only means of salvation, as we're calling Yeshua, means. In other words, justification is by faith alone and not by works that any man should boast. Faith working through love. We are unashamedly Trinitarian. We're also unashamedly uh, doctor, believe in the doctrines of grace, what is commonly referred to as Calvinistic. The, the new covenant is not time-bound. That is to say that the, the horizon of the faith of our father Abraham is no different. Right. No, no, it is not shy of the horizon of our hope and our faith. In other words, the, that salvation was salvation was the same for Abraham as it is for us. Right. Wednesday, October 28th, 2020. This is Messiah Matters number 319. Realizing a lot of our listeners could probably host this show. My name is Caleb Hegg. Reflecting on Luther's 95 uh, thesis in advance of this weekend, this Shabbat, is Reformation Day. I'm Rob Van Hoff. Yeah. I'm going to try to fix you real quick. I realize that you are out I of... Need it. You're out of you're out of frame here, and so what we're going to do is we're going to try to grab you and bring you. I could use a good fixing. Let me uh, let me work on this real quick, just so I can. How you doing, man? Doing well. All right, folks. Let's see if that worked. Boom! There you go. We're coming into the end of our kind of land the airplane of first quarter at Tor Resource Institute. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm loving. I, I'm teaching. Uh, I got three class. I've got first year Greek, second year Greek, and Arama- Aramaic. They're all awesome. I've got other classes too, but but those these classes are the weekly live meetings, and I've been using that uh, that iPad connection where I can draw on the do the screen share and write out stuff. Boy, it it's made such a big difference. I feel like. Uh, the students are doing well, and, and I'm excited. You know, it's going to be nice to have a little bit of a break between quarters coming up here. But it feels like it's moving pretty quick. A little bit of a break. We have a big break coming up. Yeah, which, we, we which I'm a, actually excited for. We we yeah. need some time. All right. Well, <clears throat> let's put our producers up here. Thanks to all our producers for uh, helping produce this show. We love you very much. And thank you to all of our supporters as well. If you'd like to support this show, you can do so by going to TorahResource.com. Hovering over resources, then going down to Messiah Matters. Click on that and you can find all sorts of information of how to become a producer, how to become a supporter, 
and to listen to seven full seasons of archived shows. I think we're like a fine wine, though. I I don't (laughs) recommend going back to season one. I, I, pretty much at all. That's not something I would do. That's what that was my thought. We're going to do that. We got to figure out a mystery science theater way to go and watch and then talk about like a lot. Well, you know, record our own comments it's like a super commentary. Well, one of the things that I was looking at was Messiah Matters commentary on the Robin Caleb show. Some of the guests that we've had that we would never, you know, the reasons that we don't have guests on the show anymore is because of the guests that <laughs> guests that we've had previously or the infamous, which can I scrub the Internet of this, the infamous time that my dad and I tried to do a call in show and we got profanity blasted <gasps> with the first caller. Oh, man. Yeah. Uh, I was, that was, I was off that week. So you, I didn't, I was You won't not, be able to find that anywhere on the internet. That do, you I have, know. do you have it in the secret vaults? <laughs> Never shall I tell. <laughs> we have a super membership. <laughs> yes, the super membership when you, where you can hear the profanity. Oy vey. No, that's, uh, that's, that's, uh, yeah, that kind of shows like a lot of those talk call in radios, they got to have screeners and then there must be some sort of delay where they can. Yeah, I don't know how they do that. Here's the thing that a lot of people don't realize about this show is that I produce it on the fly. Like in terms of production, I'm producing this show on the fly. We don't have another producer that's doing this. If you look at other great shows, you know, Wretched Radio or, you know, um, uh, Apologia or, you know, all, all of those guys, they have another produ- they have a producer in another room who's doing all their stuff for them. I, I'm the one doing it. So. Uh, trying to bleep out people, and I don't even know how they de- get their delay. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, so we are very thankful to our supporters and to our producers. Thank you very much. We will desperately try not to have any more profanity on this show, that's for sure. Uh, that was years ago, but uh, anyway. All right. Um, we should also talk about how to get hold of us, 253-465-3205. It's 253-465-3205. You can also shoot us an email, resource.com. C-H-E-G-G at TorahResource.com. And of course, Torah Resource is the one who produces this show. And uh, we are thankful to Torah Resource for that. Okay. Um, I'll tell you all a little bit later that you should subscribe to the uh, YouTube channel and that uh, it's the law. If you're going to watch this show, the law of this show is you have to subscribe. So, um, But I'm not going to do that right now. I'm going to tell you that later. So get ready for that. <coughs> Pardon me. Okay. We got so much to talk about. Boy, did we open a can of worms last week. Um, let's just jump right in. Uh, and, you know, I there's so many good comments. I don't know which one's going to set up everything the best. Um, okay, so let's start with Ned. We'll do Ned, Melissa, and then we'll go to audio. So Ned writes in, he says, We belong to a small group that has been working if Yeshua has wedding guests and friends of the kingdom that are not part of of his bride. Should I say that again? Without sure. the cough in it? Let's do it without the cough. Sorry about that, guys. We belong to a small group that has been wondering if, wondering if, Yeshua has wedding guests and friends of the bridegroom that are not part of his bride. Now, Rob and I talked about this on our preparation day on Monday. We both came to the same conclusion very quickly. However, one thing that I have been thinking of is Balaam. So Balaam? Yeah. 
he's not, I don't, he's a sorcerer. I don't see him as a believer. I don't see him as part of the fold, yet God uses him. Right? So, but is that a friend? And is there a difference between friend and covenant member? So those are, those are my questions that I would add on to that. <laughs> but ultimately, I mean, I think the ultimate answer to Ned's uh, question here is, I don't think that you can mix the two metaphors. You're using two metaphors and trying to mix them. One is that that the the uh, people of God, that is the ecclesia, is Christ's bride, which is certainly true, and this is to show covenant, right? This is to show the relationship. Right. Actually, my wife and I were talking about this last night before we went to bed. To show the uh, relationship that believers have with God. So, covenant is the the main focus, and we see this metaphor not only as a metaphor within Yeshua's teaching, but also we see it within nature in well maybe not nature but within our own relationships in other words god has set up uh marriage so that we fully understand the relationship that is going on between god and his ecclesia on the flip side to that you have a totally different um parable about wedding guests and the this is this is not to be conflated with or put alongside the idea the metaphor of of the ecclesia of God as the wedding guest, as the bride. In other words, this is not to, Yeshua is not trying to mix these two metaphors. He's trying to give a, a, a visual representation in the mind of people being left out of the fold. So I think that I, I don't think that you can mix those metaphors. However, I, I do think that we can ask the question: Does God have? Is the same thing as covenant relationship the same thing as friendship? And then the question would be, does God have friends that are not covenant members, that are not, you know, ecclesia? I don't even know if that's a word. I don't think, it, maybe it is. Anyway. <laughs> what do you nice. think, Rob? What do you think? I like it. I appreciate it. Thank you, Ned, for the question. Yeah, it's a great question. The What I hear the question is, if I kind of boil it down, the way I would frame it, if I'm hearing him correctly, is could be asked this way are are the prophet are the the friends of the bridegroom part of the bride and and that that's that seems like you couldn't say that right the metaphor wouldn't work but if the bride if the friends of the bridegroom are the prophets then yes the you we wouldn't say are the prophets part of god's people right we would say yes and as a matter of fact, like if you think of Ephesians 4, where it says some apostles, some prophets, right? These, these constitute uh, individuals from within the body of Christ who are given specific callings and equippings for the sake of building up the ecclesia as a whole. But they, too, are recipients of the mutual love from within the, uh, within the ecclesia. In other words, a prophet like, you know, you know, any, any of the prophets that preach about Yeshua might be likened. These are the, the friends of the, the bridegroom, like John the Baptist, for example, you know, or all the prophets that prophesied of the coming Messiah. They are not therefore excluded from being part of the ecclesia of God. Um, Cause they're two sinners in need of, 
of new life and, and participation in the resurrection of, of Yeshua. So um, I, what, and my, I think I agree with you, Caleb, what I'm hearing you say is that we, we got to be careful with parables because parables don't always, uh, we don't want to push, be careful about how far we push a parable or a, or a metaphor. I, I, I thought of an example that I'd share. Oh, good. Um, one example is this curious phrase, sons of the kingdom. Sons of the kingdom. Okay. It is only appears twice in the Bible and it's only in the gospel of Matthew. And there's two different parables or two different stories that Yeshua tells where you find sons of the kingdom. The first one's in Matthew eight and the other, I want to say maybe Matthew 13, but here's the point. The point is it cannot mean the same thing in both parables. In the first parable, it's in Matthew 8. It's when the centurion who, who Yeshua has accepted the, his, his, his request, come and heal my servant. And, but the, he says, Don't even, I'm not worthy that you come under my house. You just say the word, etc. We know all this. And Yeshua says, after saying how great this faith is, and that he hasn't seen this in Israel, Yeshua says, I'm telling you, in the kingdom, many will come from the east and west. We'll sit at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob but the sons of the kingdom will be cast out and there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Okay. So in that, in that story, if you love Yeshua, you're like, Oh, I don't want to be a son of the kingdom. Right. I don't want, I, I want to be part that are sitting at the table. So this idea of sons of the kingdom there, on the other hand, later when he's talking about the parable of the tares of the wheat and the tares, he says that the he explains it. That the disciples say, "Explain to us this parable." And he says, "Well, the sower sows the word of God, right?" And that they, I'm probably butchering the parable, but the idea is that these are the son. The good, the good is the sons of the kingdom. The tares are the sons of the evil one, right. and that they're going to be separated out in the end. And the sons of the kingdom are represent those who are the elect who are saved. So, if I were just to say, "Well, Yeshua says sons of the kingdom here." in Matthew. And then later he tells another story and talks about the sons of the kingdom. I can't, I can't force those into the same paradigm, right? It, they're two separate uh, stories that need to be taken on their own terms individually and understood on their own terms. Um, I'm not saying that that's going to be true with every parable. I'm sure there's parables we could find where there is carryover, but I, it was just an idea of something as an example, a counterexample, or not a counterexample, an example to illustrative example of this care we need to take in taking from one uh, metaphor and and trying to fit it like puzzle pieces with another. What I love about the question that Ned sent in is that it refers or it reflects engagement with the Word of God, right? And that is awesome. That's always a good thing. Um. Okay. I suppose we will go to Melissa. Melissa writes in. She says, I have a quick question on Titus 2 and older women. What age is being talked about here for the older women? And is this saying that an older unmarried woman could never teach the younger women? And I think the reason I'm going to I'm going to expand Melissa's comment without her actually expanding it herself. Um, I think what the reason that she says that is because it says that the 
elderly women should be, uh, well, let's just read it here. Titus 2 says, uh, Older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. So I think the question is, if if a woman is never married and doesn't have her own children, if she can't be subject to her own husband, does that mean that she's then excluded from this passage? In other words, she can't teach because she's never been married. I don't think that that's what it's talking about, to be completely honest with you. I think that um, uh, the word here denotes, I looked this up actually, uh, denotes just being an elder or elderly. So there's no there's no age requirement. Um, but I think that, uh, I think when, you know, Paul is writing and what he's, I think that there's a norm. In other words, the norm in this society is that women are married. It is very uncommon for a woman not to be married in this society. I mean, even today it's, you know, um, the norm is going to be that women are married at some point in their, their life. That's just the norm. And it was in this culture too. So, you know, are there exceptions to the rules? Yes, but I don't think Paul is necessarily worried about that. Paul is talking about a specific community. I think that Titus probably gets what he's talking about. And so, uh, you know, he's giving an exhortation for those who are in a place of, of, you know, eldership, not in terms of the office of eldership, but being older and uh, being looked up to in terms of age and wisdom. That's what I think is going on. Rob? And, and, and it is replicated with his interaction with Timothy, because we know Timothy grew up, not only his mother, but his grandmother mm-hmm. uh, right. instructed him in the word of God in the home. And so there's another parallel kind of picture uh, of, of this kind of instruction. Right. Particularly now in that case, we know that it seems that Timothy had an absent father or a father with a different value system or some sort of conflict. We don't, we're not told much about it, but, um, but yeah. And, and in terms of the Greek, it's just, it's the same word you, where we get the word Presbyterian, right? Uh, we have a masculine form and a feminine form and it, that just indicates that it's a male or female. So for example, um, verse two, Titus 2, 2, where it says older men, that's just uh, presbutas, right? And then we have older women, uh, presbutitas, right? So it's the same the same word, meaning elder. And um, the idea is that believing older people that have walked with the Lord have acquired wisdom. Yep. And they have something valuable. They have, like Yeshua says to him who has more will be given, right? They've acquired wisdom and insight, understanding, discernment, etc., pertaining to being in the world, but not of the world. And the younger people don't have that experience and sometimes have wild ideas 
Oh, I'm running this way. Oh, that way. Oh, that way. That's untempered. And so we need to remember that that is an important thing that in our society, I think in, in, especially as you move to the left side of, of the cultural spectrum, uh, you have a rejection of authority, a rejection of the wisdom of parents and the, and the family system. And I'm going to get into that BLM kind of thing that Caleb's been writing about. Um, but yeah, yeah. So that is affirming love of parents, honor of the elders, which is right out of the Torah, right? It's not like this is a new, new thing, but Paul is just giving instruction. Like Caleb, like you said, uh, he probably knows some like Paul would say, yeah, I could list, list a couple of these older men that I have in mind and list a couple of these older women that I have in mind from that specific community. And tell George, Bruce, and, you know, Gary that uh, <laughs> they need to do X, Y, you know, it's kind of, <laughs> you have yeah, to assume yeah. that he knows, he knows the people that are sitting, you know, that are a part of that community. Yeah. You know? Okay, good. Well, uh, that did not take too long, which is actually good because I think some of the next ones will take a little while. Um, so this is from Matt from Michigan. Matt from Michigan calls us on a semi-regular basis. Always good questions. He he uh, sent us two voicemails this morning, and the two. reason two the reason that I like or the reason that I grab this one is because it is going to kind of steer us directly into um, our topic for today, which is sacrifice in the temple. And the reason that we're talking about this is because last week we talked about an eschatological temple and um, sacrifices, and this kind of sparked a huge. It's it sparked the and created a flame that brought somewhat of a fire uh, in people to ask many questions about the temple. Um, okay, so Matt from Michigan. Going to something you guys said, um, I think it was last Wednesday. I think Rob had made some kind of comment, um, paraphrasing that it, all it would have taken would have been um, an animal sacrifice. There would have been then no reason to have. Uh, God's son be sacrificed. My only problem with that, I agree with that, that, that it was the necessary sacrifice, but wasn't that because that's how God made it? That was the system that he created, so he could have created whatever system for atonement, for redemption, that was all up to his creation. If he had wanted it to be just an animal sacrifice, that would have been sufficient because that would have been the system that he created. Um, nope. I am going to strongly disagree. Um, I appreciate the comment and the question and uh, Matt, thank you for calling in and asking it. it. I think it's a really, really good question. The reason why it's such a good question is because I think that the majority of people, even those who um, are well-educated in theology, oftentimes think this this goes back to a philosophical question in my mind. This is immediately when I heard him uh, ask this on the phone, on the uh, comment line, I thought, okay, well, um, this goes back to a philosophical question. And the, the philosophical question that is asked is, can God create a rock that is too heavy for God to pick up? Now, um, whether or not you're going to say yes or no to that, in other words, it, can God do that? And this is kind of the same question. 
because I think that the answer is somewhat yes. God cannot create something or do something, implement something that goes against who he is. What I mean by that is God is infinitely holy. Now, this is going to get into the D of the Messiah as well. God is infinitely holy. Anytime we have a transgression of any amount, any amount, if we are in covenant relationship with him, then that would, for him to continue to be in covenant relationship with us, it would diminish his holiness. And that would diminish who God is. That would make God not who he is. God is infinitely holy, and God cannot commune in covenant relationship with something that is not holy. That would diminish his holiness. And so to be able to rectify that, you have to have a payment that is eternal. And this, I mean, this question that Matt brings up is, is a great question for those who deny the deity of Christ. If Christ is not eternal in both directions, then why didn't God just say, all right, once a year, get a giraffe. And Matt actually brings up like he could have made a white giraffe that you sacrifice once every, you know, 500 years. Okay. Yeah. Matt's right. If, 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 if the sacrifice didn't have to be eternal in both ways, go out Get yourself a giraffe once a year, bring it back, <laughs> spl- splatter the, the blood of this innocent animal on the altar, and it would pay for it, right? But it, it doesn't. Why doesn't it? The giraffe hasn't sinned, so in terms of perfection, in, in terms of sinlessness, the animal or whatever you want to use in that metaphor, the animal is going to be sufficient for that. So why doesn't it pay for sins? Because it's not eternal in both directions. And God's holiness is. And any mark against his whole, His infinite holiness is an infinite transgression. And therefore, you need an infinite payment to pay for it. And therefore, the only thing that can pay for sin is God himself. And this is why Christ comes, lowers himself, empties himself, and overcomes death by being the eternal sacrifice in both directions that covers sin. That's, that's what I would say. In other words, God could not have made a different way of salvation. It's impossible because the only way of salvation is for an infinite life to overcome death. And the, there, there's only one infinite life, and that's God. Thoughts? Yeah, this is such an awesome question. <clears throat> so thanks again. You said it was Matt. Yep. Thank Matt you, from Matt. Michigan. I love it. Um, I, I agree with what Caleb is saying, and I, I might express it in a, some different from a different angle, which is it, this could be related to how we understand what Selim Elohim is in in Genesis, where it says he is the that man is made in the image of God, and what does it mean? That man's made in the, the Tzalem Elohim, or which in the Greek is ikon, where we get the word icon, the ikon. Um, that God's creation is not arbitrary. The creation of humanity in God's image is to prepare humans who could receive the, the self-revelation of who God is. So back to Caleb's point about God's character. God didn't just create creation just because he was bored and wanted to make a painting. He knew that he was going to reveal the Torah. He knew that Yeshua would come in the flesh and that there would be uh, the, the, the joy of the elect in eternity 
knowing, enjoying who God is, worshiping God, um, glorifying God forever without, without end. That's the, that's the purpose of creation. And and we, I mean, we're talking about the reformers earlier because we're coming up to the 31st Reformation. I'm thinking about the Westminster Catechism, you know, that number one that we talk about sometimes. The idea is God's, so therefore the cost of, of, of redemption is not arbitrary. It's not, it's not like God just, you know, I'll just, I guess I'll just choose this option. Because we have to understand that God's word is not arbitrary. God's mm-hmm. word is a revelation. Of who God is. Yeah. It, it's God revealing who he is. It's not God just sitting there going, hmm, I need to make a, I make a bunch of rules for these guys. And eh, I think I'll do this. And I think I'll do that. I, I don't think that's going to be a, a helpful way to read the scriptures. Actually, ta- ta- hang on, just ta- talking about the Reformation, because this is, I, I actually preached on this last Saturday. The, the, the Reformers, right after Luther dies, they debate the three uses of the law. And the first use of the law is, in fact, that the, the Torah or the law is a mirror, exactly what you're talking about. It's a mirror of God to us, so we see who God is, and then it's a mirror of us to us, realizing that seeing God in this mirror and seeing us in this mirror, we can't stack up at all. In other words, be holy for I am holy. It's impossible to be holy for God is holy without Christ. But, but okay, oh, this is so good, Caleb. I'm glad you brought this up because then there's going to be people that say, well, why would God command something that, that you couldn't do? Like, why would God say, be holy for I am holy? Is because that's, did he say that out of, oh, I'm going to show them? Or is it out of love? Yeah, love. I think it's out of love. Yeah, of course. Be holy. Right. Because because the Torah is going to be true in eternity, right? The Torah is true. It, it's a re- revelation of who God is. That, that's, that is an important, uh, I guess, a hermeneutical presupposition that I'm coming to the text, and, and my life as a believer in Yeshua is that this is not something that men de- designed or devised. It wasn't about how creative Moses could be in coming up with laws. It was God's self-revelation to his chosen people and then his forbearance through their sin. Yeah. But all, always knowing that Messiah would come. Right. And then, and as a father, he he trains up and educates, etc. Great question. Yeah, it's really wow. good. It's, and you know, once again, I, I think sometimes when we answer these questions, people think like we're just like downing. I actually love this question because I think that most people, including myself, who have faith at one time, have thought to themselves that this is a possibility. You know, it, it's taken a long time for me to come to an understanding of of you know some of these foundational issues. And I was, you know, if you asked me two years ago, I probably would have said, that's a really good question. So I well, wait, don't, wouldn't you say that there are people though, if, if I said, well, Caleb, God, all God wanted was sacrifice until Jesus came. Yes, absolutely. And there then after that, that, no more, it's over with. Yeah. There are like, people who what, believe that. what would you, what would you say to someone who says that's obvious God had one way and then he brought a new way because the other way didn't work. Yeah, I mean, we, this is a comment that we got on our dispensational video, uh, dispensationalism video from years ago. Was oh yeah, God has different ways of salvation in different in different times. 
And the answer to that is no, he doesn't, because the way of salvation is can only be one way. Only by uh, Hebrews 11, baby. By faith. Yeah. By faith, Abel. By faith, Enoch. By faith, Noah. By faith, Abraham. You know, and obviously this is not an exhaustive list. This is just a, a synopsis, you know, taking you through uh, the history of the world of righteous people. And they were righteous by faith. They weren't righteous by inventing, you know, or, or whatever, you know, or God didn't change through all that time. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, this goes back to the nature of God and his holiness. It, it, once again, we have to we have to frame this in terms of who God is. There's no way that that sacrifices in the temple could have ever atoned for sin, and the reason why is because that it, it would not satisfy the holiness of God. I think we talked about we quoted a little bit of Romans seven last week, and right. Caleb, I remember you brought up one of the verses in Romans seven, which says where Paul says the Torah is holy, and the Torah is spiritual, right? Right. Okay. Well, this this is going to lead us. Oh man, my email's sounding off because we're getting people <laughs> commenting on our last week's dispensation video as we speak, which is funny. Um, Did this, you? Okay. Footnote: we, I, we got an email from number twenty three. You yes. know who you are. Yes. And she said some guy claims to be the like. Yeah, I blocked the him. Okay. I blocked him the day I blocked him the day that. Lois said I don't that. know if anybody saw it, but apparently someone thinks that they're the Messiah. <laughs> And they, they, I, you know, what an honor that the Messiah came and posted on our Facebook page. There was, I mean, there, there was some good back and forth. There were some people who, you know, really challenged him. And the unfortunate part is, is that you're either dealing with someone with um, mental problems or, and, or perhaps, and, or you're dealing with someone who is uh, dealing with uh, demonic issues, mm. probably both. Um, and they're, they probably go hand in hand anyway. Okay. Let's move on. That's scary. Yeah. Yeah, it is. So, um, that brings us to, I want to go to just some guy's comment. Just some guy, just some guy commented on our, uh, YouTube video from oh, that's last, actual... last week. Just some guy. And, uh, just some guy says, uh, does Yeshua's sacrifice make us clean? And I, and maybe this will be a shocker to some. Um, but the answer is yes and no. Yes, it makes us clean spiritually. In other words, it washes away the uh, the sin that we have. So in that respect, yes, we are cleansed. Yeah, from you've been the, transferred from the d- domain of sin, darkness, and sin and death into the kingdom of His dear Son, right? The, right, which is life and right. Yeah. So in that respect, we've been cleaned. However, not like a sacrifice cleanses. And what I mean by that is. Yeshua's sacrifice, just because, just because Paul was a a uh, a believer in Christ, he didn't go to the temple and say, "Oh, yes, I had corpse defilement, but don't worry, you can still let me in because I believe in Yeshua." Right. That it, it did, that did not satisfy the the temporal. We, we're talking about two different things. We're talking about the heavenly uh, temple, and we're talking about the earthly temple. God created the earthly temple to show us what's going on in the heavenly temple. But on the, in the earthly temple, there are rules. And those rules are, if you're going to come into this holy space, you have to be cleansed from impurity, 
from uncleanness. Un- being unclean, as we've said many, many times, is not a sin. A woman is not uh, sinning because she uh, has a menstrual cycle. A man is not sinning because he has a seminal emission. Um, those are the easy ones to go to because it's things that happen within marriage, which is a, you know, these things happen to people within marriage. You, you can even look at like uh, in Luke, you know, we learned about Elizabeth having a baby or John the uh, or uh, Mary, Miriam having Yeshua. She has to wait. She can't just go to the temple. She has to wait the days according to the Torah commandment. Uh, because she's she's in the impure she's in an, an impurity, and and for those who are going to say, oh well, Christ was the final uh, sacrifice, and we don't have to do th- those anymore, then you know, the obvious place to go to here is Paul going to the temple in Acts twenty one and doing it to prove that he there is he is not teaching people against the law. In fact, what does he do to prove that? He goes and does cere- quote unquote ceremonial aspects of the law which I don't believe in the, in a uh, delineation, Vision, right? Yeah. But, but for those who do, he goes and he performs ceremonial aspects of the law to prove that the law is not done away with. And uh, so Paul, by this point, has, has clearly worked out his faith. He's already written Romans by the time Acts 21 comes around. He's written 1st and 2nd Corinthians. He's written Romans, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. You're telling me that this guy doesn't have his faith already figured out? Theologically, Paul is still off. He hasn't realized that that Christ's sacrifice has done away with the law. I'm sorry, I don't buy it. Um, so Paul goes and he sacrifices. Why would he sacrifice if Christ's sacrifice is the end all be all? And the reason why is because. And by the way, Christ's sacrifice is the end all be all for sacrifice when it comes to sin. It's the only sacrifice when it comes to sin. But the point is, is that when it comes to being clean or unclean and showing coming into the presence of God within that holy space temporally on this earth, there are rules to that. And sacrifices take place and uh, cleanliness takes place and all these kind of things that is still applicable. And I believe that if the temple was built in Jerusalem again, if we wanted to enter that sacred space that God made sacred, whether or not... The Jews are, you know, non-believing Jews are in in, uh, in charge of letting people in or not. If we wanted to enter that space, we would need to be cleansed ritualistically. Now, I don't know how that would work, but that's how, you know, that's what we'd have to do to enter that space. Whether or not we'd want to enter that space or not, that's a completely different question. Well, and then we know that uh, around the, the south end of the Temple Mount, there were lots of different mikvaot, a lot of different bathing pools with the steps going up. The idea of someone who wanted to come worship at the temple, I mean, even in Acts, we were just reading in Acts like three, right? Where they're at the gate called beautiful. And it says Peter and John are coming up at the hour of prayer into the temple. And they see the man who was, um, I think, was he paralyzed from youth or whatever? And he's asking for alms. And he says, I don't have any silver and gold, but in the name of Yeshua of Nazareth, right? Okay. I have something even better. They this is an example of, of early believers participating, like Caleb's talking about. Uh and people it's not like someone's go, you know what? I'm gonna go, I'm gonna sneak around the mikvahot. I'm gonna sneak around the <laughs> pools. I'm gonna get in there and I'm gonna be unclean and I'm gonna worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Right? That's just there's no logic to that. The idea is you're coming into a place that we've never seen with our own eyes. So we can't imagine 
what what we would even feel like coming into the Temple Mount. I mean, so maybe some of us have been to Jerusalem and we've been to the wall and been to the Temple Mount, but but you got to imagine it was a completely different thing here, you know, with the with the animal, you know, sacrifices going on and right. In other words, the very day that Peter and John are going up there, they they might even be able to smell the smell of the animal sacrifices. Sure. But it's not about, it's not about feeling and it's not about how we feel going up there. It's about the fact that God separated a space and said to get into this space, you have to do X, Y, Z. Well, what I mean is uh, you're right. I agree. It's not about feeling, feeling, but I think that a true worshiper of God would have an, uh, would have a sense of awe and reverence and they wouldn't, they wouldn't simultaneously think, oh, I'm going to sneak around the right this washing thing. It's not right? just that. I, it, they, those don't go together. Wouldn't believers also be connecting the dots? I'm able to enter into the inner sanctuary of the heavenly courtroom because of the sacrifice that Yeshua right. did. So in other right. words, doing these things makes us understand what is actually happening in the heavenly places. That's the and whole then to be, point. And then to be in that space as witnesses to Yeshua's resurrection. Right. That's awesome. I mean, imagine, imagine that. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. They weren't kicked. They weren't told to stop. Oh, you're coming into the sacred places without doing a mikvah. That's not what the, there's like, you need to stop preaching this name. That, right. that was the thing. If they, if the priest could have got them on, on, on bringing impurity into the temple, that's what they would have done. They would have said, you're out of here. And they wouldn't even have said anything about Yeshua. Okay, Unashamed of Jesus in the chat room uh, will give us a great segue into our next question. We are the temple of God. Now the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. Uh, The Holy Spirit lived inside believers even before Christ died. And we see this in the Torah. They are indwelled with the Holy Spirit to accomplish a a, a specific act. And this happens in Acts as well. The Holy Spirit indwells people to take the gospel to other nations. John writes in, he says, I think when Yah destroyed the temple in 70 AD, he might have been saying no to sacrifices. I disagree with this. I think the reason that the temple was destroyed in 70 AD is because it was a punishment to the Jews for rejecting the ultimate sacrifice. In other words, you're going to do these things that that point to the true sacrifice that takes away the sin of the world, but you're not going to believe in the one who, you're not going to believe in Yeshua? No, you get punished. Guess what? The the difference. Yeah, one of the time. There's that one time where Yeshua's weeping over Jerusalem. Is it, it where he says, "If you would have known that this, the day of your visitation." Right. In other words, there's you know, it because we look at we look at the Mishkan as it. Well, we have in terms of incarnation. We were talking about the Torah, the Bible as God's revelation of Himself. So that's it's kind of a hint towards incarnation. The Mishkan, the tabernacle, God dwelling in his people in that way with this space we're talking on earth where we have the spatial access and you have to have purity standards to protect that holy space uh, on a life and death deal, right? Because you, the, the, the Levites that are charged to defend that sacred space, they, you don't go to court, they kill you, right? If you, if you come with impurity and try to infringe or encroach on what is holy, you're put to death on the spot without right. a trial. Right. But and that's to protect that's to protect Israel from God's from the consequence of disregarding his holiness. My wife and I had this conversation last night. 
because my wife said, well, then how then aren't we punished, too? In other and, words, uh, it, in, in other words, aren't believers punished, too, by not being able to go to the temple and, and bring sacrifices? How is that a punishment oh, on the Jews point, yeah. and not the and not the believers? And my answer was, we are we do have sacrifice. We have sacrifice in the heavenly temple. We're not able to bring the shadow. But when I sit down at my Passover table, I guarantee you, my Passover sacrifice is present at that table, and it's present in the heavenly places at the same time, because Christ is my Passover lamb. On Yom Kippur, when I fast, guess what? I have a high priest who has already gone in and already had his the, the blood accepted. So as believers, we have sacrifice. Now, to get into the temporal temple, in other words, to get into that space if it's ever built again, which it will be, I believe, I think, it, I think Christ will come before it's built, but to get into that space, we will have to go through the appropriate means, and the appropriate means include sacrifice. That's all there is to it. So, uh, I think, but I mean, I think that the, that the destruction of the temple in 70 was because the, um, was because well, why was it destroyed? Why was it destroyed? Why was Solomon's temple destroyed? Right. And exile. And then why did Daniel pray three times a day toward, yeah, at exactly. the time of the sacrifices towards Jerusalem? Okay. Right. So yeah. Um, this is a really good topic, really good topic. And it, we see a couple things, they all tie together. Are we looking at it as a God had one way of salvation and then changed his mind? So that's a big one. The other is um, a, a, cor- a correlative, or it's 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 co- it's a correlate or a correlated. Is that the word? Yeah, correlated. correlated yeah. Is is this topic that we're talking about now? Is um, what is the function for believers in what realm is purity and impurity dealt with? Sin and death you know, clean and unclean, all that stuff. So. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah, good stuff. Okay, we got one more, one more comment. Actually, wow, we, this, is a, this is a great conversation. So we today. actually have two comments, but one of them, Evelyn, I think we're going to have to wait until next week to get to your comment. It's a great comment. Actually, you know what? Never mind. Let's go to Evelyn first, because Evelyn, we don't really have to comment on this. In fact, I think that Evelyn next week can, we're going to take the week off and Evelyn's going to uh, host this show. I think, because this is so good. Uh, Encountering some discussion with my Seventh-day Adventist friends who want to abrogate the law into the law of God and into the law of Moses. By the way, for those who don't know, we've talked about this before. Some believe that there's two different laws. There's the law of God and the law of Moses. The law of Moses goes away once Christ dies. And now we only have to keep the law of God. And the law of uh, God is only written on the Ten Commandments. I don't know if people are familiar with this. Anyway. I am wondering if Matthew 4, 4 is a well-established use of saying that we are to live by all of the words that proceed from the mouth of God, whether it's written on stone, whether it's written on a scroll that's placed on the outside of the ark. If it was spoken by God, then we are to live by it. And moreover, when I encounter my mainstream church friends, they say that, we, uh, that the law is abolished or that it was just for the Jews. And however, when I look at these same texts, Matthew 4, 4, which is also quoted from Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, it also says in the Hebrew that man or Adam is to uh, not only live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Likewise, it says the same in Matthew 4, 4. So in the Hebrew, it says Adam, and in the Greek, it says anthropos, which also means 
man, which is where we get the study of anthropology of mankind and not just the study of the Jews. So is it fair to say that both of those texts, whether they're Hebrew or Greek, not only means that we're supposed to live by all the words that proceed out of the mouth of God to my SDA friends, and that all of man is to live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God and not just the Jews only. Boom. Uh, yes, that is a great Thank you, argument. Evelyn. I great love it. Argument. Yeah, that's great. Uh, um, it's not only a great argument. I mean, I don't know what else you want us to say about that. I mean, you laid that argument out perfectly. This is a perfect way to show people, no, the commandments of God are not done away with. It's great. Yeah, Every that's beautiful. That I, I, I thank you. Thank you. That was very edifying for me just to hear her. Talk. Obviously, Evelyn, you've uh, done some deep, uh, reflection and, and prayer. And, and so I just pray that God blesses you as you seek to interact with grace and truth and love with those who are pushing back a little. But I think just like you just explained, God did the heavy lifting, right? It's, it's in the scripture, you know, he did all the heavy lifting. And, and so when, and this, this reminds me of the proverb, apples of gold on a, on a, a silver tray are, is a, a single word spoken or just a few words spoken at the right time. Uh, it's, it's like that. Um, well done. Well said in the comments section, Jesse now. Okay. Here is the debate that we could have. His last name is B A S S. So would you pronounce that bass or bass? I would say bass. And just like Davey 504 says slap like now, right? A slap at a bass. Yes. Slap like now. Subscribe. Slap that subscribe button. Just like you'd slap. Slap Slap in the bass. Slap at a bass. (laughs) Anyway, sorry. Sound like a leprechaun. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay. Sorry about that. Anyway, Jesse writes in and says, can you guys speak a little more about the spirit indwelling in people prior to Yeshua? I know a lot of people who try to say that that didn't happen until Yeshua, which isn't correct. Uh, We'll talk about that perhaps next week, because I think it's a little bit longer of a topic than what we have right now. Yeah, because it gets into what is regeneration. Right. And does where is faith? Is faith... Ultimately, it ties into the exact same uh, conversation we had of, does God save people differently? Is faith the fruit of a product of regeneration, or does someone have faith and then they're regenerated? I think that's a really good question, and uh, yeah, here we'll grab we'll grab his comment. We'll put it at the bottom of my notes. Jesse Bass. <laughs> <laughs> Feel free to email us, Jesse, and let us know how. <laughs> Is it bass like a bass guitar or bass like you go fishing for bass? Oh, uh, he says like the fish. Okay, dude, I'd change that if I were you. <laughs> I'd just start. You could say actually our ancestors. <laughs> <laughs> they actually adopted an alternative translation or trans uh, pronunciation, but really it's. <laughs> What's your name? Well, it used to be Bass, but I changed it to BS because <laughs> I like to slap it. At- okay, anyway. Um, Mark writes in and says this. So we'll finish with this. He says that Jesus was the savior of the whole world. He died once for all, capital all. And he was the perfect sacrifice. What reason could God have to want more sacrifice? Well, we've already talked about this, right? Um, once again, it is the regulations to coming into holy space in this temporal world. 
especially considering there isn't a single verse about a third earthly temple in the Bible. I would point you to 10 chapters of Ezekiel. I would point you to Zechariah 14. I would point you to, well, all of the, the prophets, right? Um, anyway, uh, so I, I, I reject, this is from Mark, by the way. I reject Mark's idea that there is no uh, verse about a third temple in the Bible. As for the Jews, he goes on, according to the Bible, the first believers were thousands of and thousands of Jews, see Pentecost and Acts. At some point, the gospel also went to the non-Jews, correct? The Bible describes how both believers out of Israel and believers from elsewhere are now one tree. He's talking about Romans 11. I agree. Not two trees. I completely agree with different futures, but one single tree. Nowhere does the Bible say God has different plans for Israel and the church. I completely agree with you. This, we've argued this. This is the this is inferred into the text to keep the system, a system of belief running. And, and I think where this is coming from from Mark is the idea that um, that Gentiles don't have to sacrifice. This is probably I, I mean I'm inserting this, but I would assume that this is a reference to Acts 15. Most of the commentators believe that Acts 15 abolishes the laws of Torah for the Gentiles. But then once uh, the commentators get to Acts 21, they're going to say, well, it didn't abolish all the laws of Torah, just the ceremonial laws. This is nowhere inferred in the text, by the way, um, at all. Uh, I would be interested in your thoughts on this next time. I'll give direct Bible verses. Just don't have time to look them up right now. Okay, well... Um, whether or not you have direct Bible verses or not, uh, Romans 11, certainly I agree with you. There is no two outcomes for Jew and Gentile. There's no separate, I mean, once again, and, and I think we've talked about this many times, but I believe in enlargement theology. I do not believe in replacement theology. That is that believers actually become part of Israel through covenant. That doesn't make right. you a and Jew. That, and that the, na the name change from Avram to Avraham right. is Ex the seed yes. little... The seed little hint of of that expansion. Right. This doesn't make a person a Jew. Right. Um, uh, contrary to popular belief, this does not make it, someone a Jew. And, and if, Abraham was not Jewish. Exactly. So the point is, is that if you come into the covenant, and the covenant dictates that to get into a specific location and to perform specific, specific acts, you have to sacrifice. Then... Whether you're Jew, a Jew or you are a Gentile, if you're part of that covenant, then you have to sacrifice. So the idea that, that there are two laws, this is what is called by Mark Kinzer and um, Dr. Rudolph and these other guys, they call it bilateral ecclesiology. This is, I mean, you can read all about this. It's a non-biblical theological position that... Um, those within the mainstream messianic movement have attempted to put forward to try to say that the, the laws of Torah are for Jews only and not for the Gentiles. In other words, you stay over here, Gentiles, go back to the Catholic Church. We'll, we'll stay over here in our synagogues. And uh, yeah, I mean, so the, the point here is that there is one law for Jew and Gentile, and that law is the Torah. If you're in the covenant, that law is Torah. And this, you know, people, I love this. People think that this is a new idea brought forward by the Messianic and Hebrew Roots movement of the 20th century. It's not. Once again, going back to our very, very quick touching on the 
and different uses of the law. The first one was a mirror, right? Okay. The second one was civil obedience. In other words, a fear of civil uh, repercussions. If we, uh, if we do something against the law, there will be consequences. Well, the, the reformers, this is in the 1500s, by the way, the reformers argue for a third use of the law. And what is the third use of the law? Sanctification. The reformers argued this, by the way, for like the fourth time. Um, and the, the writing by John Calvin on the third use of the law, whether or not you hold to Calvinism or not, whether or not you, uh, you know, if you are Wesleyan by theology, that's does makes no difference. You want to read some unbelievable writing? Go read uh, John Calvin, his institutes on the third, when he talks about the third use of the law. I think, it, you know, mind-blowing for those who believe in sanctification by law. It is unbelievable. And then we look at modern-day pastors today who say, oh, the law has been done away with. I mean, if you would have said that to, uh, to Calvin, not a chance. Now, granted, Calvin did believe in the, you know, that the Sabbath had been changed to Sunday. He did believe that, you know, the, uh, he, he believed in a lot of things that uh, would seem like the Torah has been done away with. But ultimately, if you ask about the law, Calvin says, no, we keep the law for sanctification. All right. Anything else? No, great, great discussion today. I appreciate all the the emails and the voicemails. I, I, what I like about the, and the interaction on the forum that we were able to uh, pull from, but I, what I like about the, <clears throat> the voicemails, you get to hear the voice of the person, you know, which is nice. Yeah. Yeah. So thank exactly. you all. Uh, Evelyn, great comment, by the way. I mean, I, I, I wish we could have talked about that. I mean, I wish we could have talked about that more, but I don't know what else we would have talked about. You laid it out perfectly. All right. Um, I'll give it to you all one more time. 253-465-3205. It's 253-465-3205. That's our comment line. You won't talk to us. You just leave a comment. Tell us what you love, hate, whatever. Uh, Resource.com. It's Resource.com. I want you now to remember that uh, it is the law of this show that if you watch this show, you need to subscribe to our YouTube channel. Go do that right now before you do anything else. We hope that this conversation has done at least one thing. That is to glorify our great God and Savior, Yeshua the Messiah. You know why? Because Messiah matters. 